0: Hello everyone, my name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset the Podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energised starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset starting a new role can be daunting for anyone so kenyatta has spent equal time thinking about the commercial as well as people aspects of his new job as chief membership and customer officer at the co-op group we discuss the enormous opportunities ahead for him and how he plans to build strong connections with his new team, partners and customers. Kenyatta has taken time during his gardening leave to reflect again on his own personal journey. He shares a previous moment when he reset his approach to work after he suffered from a panic attack that was mistaken by doctors as a heart attack. He faced the sobering realisation that he needed to stop swallowing his worries and avoiding conflict as perhaps one of the best well-known black men in marketing kenyatta shares the pressure this puts on him and how he feels consciously committed to being a representation of the african-american male and also the voice for people of color in a traditionally white boardroom we discuss how kenyatta goes above and beyond to ensure all people feel they belong in the workplace and that everyone gets a turn. I'm sure you'll find this a really enlightening conversation and if you do, please click the follow button. We'd really appreciate it and send this to your colleagues and friends. Let's get on with it. Kenyatta, it's so lovely to see you. How are you getting on?
1: I'm doing very well the pleasure is mine thank you so much for having me i am uh very much looking forward to the conversation
0: well so am i and um i was reflecting what we were going to talk about because there's so many different things and usually when we've met before we talk predominantly about marketing uh but yeah. as you know in, re- in uh, reset i like talking about you as a person you and your career Um, And just kind of understanding. And I think having spoken to lots of people that know you really well, there are three things that people talk about in relation to you. One is Mm. your incredible understanding and connection with people. Mm. Second one is around creativity. You're a very creative, you know, you're a marketing director, customer director for a bunch of brands. Um, The the, the little addendum is always how good looking and how well dressed you are. (coughs) (laughs) but I think then the third one
1: spoken to uh someone who loves me very much (laughs)
0: um and the third one I think is just about your um your focus on strategy but your focus on curiosity and just getting a bit deeper yes Um, I know that you were born and raised in uh in Carolina, in Charlotte. Yes. In Carolina. And I wonder, one of the things you said there was, it was a very genteel place. Everyone was more interested in people and each other, rather than being interesting. Yes. And I wonder whether that connection, that desire to be interested in people, is that where it started for you? To be genuinely interested in people and in asking those questions just a little bit deeper.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's spot on. Um, you know, you will have heard me say this before, but, but you know, I am, and I genuinely believe this, I'm an anthropologist more than I am a marketeer. I am fascinated with people. I am fascinated with humans and the weird and wild and wonderful stuff that we do and why we do it. Um, I included in that number, for sure. Uh, there are some things, even at 45 years old, I don't understand about myself, and I'm still working through that process, as are we all, I'm sure. And so, for me, the the idea of being um, being curious and seeking understanding is something that's always been fascinating for me. I had I had someone tell me a long time ago um, that you should seek to understand before being understood, and I've always found that to be incredible advice. Um, you know, in the African-American community, uh, mothers and grandmothers will say it a bit differently. They'll say, God gave you two ears and one mouth <laughs> behave accordingly. Right. So, and I, and I think, I think there's something, there's something quite poignant in that, um, in the idea that so much of the beauty of life and the things that we, we learn can come from observation when done with intent and when done with genuine curiosity, um, and was done with a view towards really getting to know people uh, because you are interested in getting to know them and you understand that um, life becomes more interesting when you do that a bit more often.
0: Yeah, yeah, completely, absolutely. Um, I, I just wondered, you, you know, you, you've just finished at Brown and you're about to start a co-op um, and therefore you've had a few weeks of not working in between jobs. Have you had, because I I mean, I love what you say about getting to know yourself, but also getting to think about other people. Is there anything that you've reflected on because you've had the time in the last few weeks? Yes. Learned about yourself for those around you, just because you've had that moment to breathe and that moment to to think about? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The answer is more than I can share in the context of this podcast. it's a funny thing that happens when I think when a person has time to reflect, yeah. because oh, it doesn't ha- it doesn't happen that often. No, particularly as an adult, right? So you, you one could argue you have quite a bit of it uh, when you're younger, and I think there's something interesting in the way young people, particularly young adults, who are kind of sort of high school, university age, and during those formative years, because they have more time to reflect, yeah. they're a bit more open, they're a bit more curious. They try things. And then what happens is we tip into the next phase of our life when we're working and we're supporting ourselves and subsequently, potentially family. um, And time for reflection shrinks. Hmm. And then it expands significantly when you get into your 50s, 60s, 70s. So it's rare from kind of sort of the age of 25, 30 to 60, when you have that. And I had the better part of four months. Um, and I'll tell you what, one of the interesting things for me was life's distractions can be quite um, purposeful in the context of allowing you to um, disengage from things that probably need to be sorted in your life. Yeah, so, so questions creep into your mind and because you have meetings to attend to, or things to do, or papers to write, or recommendations to draft, you push them to the side. Um, and when things quiet, and when things slow down, those questions don't go away. They have space. And they're able to reside in your brain, right, and in your consciousness and your psyche in a way that um, when you are working and living you know, the monotony of life, they don't have an opportunity to take hold. And in the last three or four months, a lot of those questions have taken hold. You know, they're simple questions, but they're not easy to answer. You know, who am I? Uh, if someone would have said, Kenyatta, who are you a year ago? I probably would have answered by telling them uh, my job description or my job title, right? That's not who I am, it's what I do. Um, and now I I am, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a Japanese concept that I recently discovered called Akiga, I may be pronouncing this incorrectly, I think it's spelled I-K I G A, maybe. Mm-hmm. But effectively, what it means is it means um the, the English translation would be your purpose. And it's the confluence of four things. It's the confluence of what you are good at, um, what you love, what the world needs, and what you can make a living doing, right? So it's not kind of sort of a hobby or a passion. It's more than that. It's a confluence of those four things. And I've been exploring that quite a bit over the last, uh, and I, I've I've started to come to a little bit of consensus and confluence around kind of my love for um, human nature and, and helping myself and others find meaning and understanding, my love for the written word, which is something I've always been passionate about, written and spoken. Yeah. And, and so I'm uh, I've been journeying journaling quite a bit writing quite a bit uh doing a lot of reading and thinking and reflecting on what that is for me in and outside of the context of my career which I love and, and yes. I'm very passionate yes. about um yeah. but but it is not all of me mm. um mm. and I am becoming much more aware and conscious of that and and what it means right which is the other piece right so You can be aware, but then not necessarily understand what that then means and how you should navigate through life as a result. And Mm. that's something I've spent a lot of time thinking about in the last few months.
0: So have you got to a place where if I asked you, Kenyatta, Mm. who are you, Mm. you answer that? Yeah,
1: it's an interesting one. So I'll I'll tell you, I don't know know that this is correct. I'll tell you where I am centering. I, I am centering in one of two spaces. One is a creative, but that's not specific enough, I don't think. Mm-hmm. The other is um, a writer. Um, but I think the one that is becoming more, um, uh, feeling more erect is storyteller. Um, because because I, think, I think, if I think about what I am good at, and it comes from where I grew up, uh, I, I'm I'm good at helping myself and other people make sense of things. Uh, when I think about what the world needs, I yeah. think people are desperate to find meaning. Uh, and I think storytelling helps people find meaning. Yes. when I When I think about um, you know w- what I can make a living doing, you know, I think some some of the best businesses in the world, are repositories of stories. Um, social media, for example, is a great example of this. So if I think about kind of sort of those those things, I'm circling around this idea. Now, now what I do with that um in the context of my personal professional life, I haven't yet unlocked. <laughs> that yep. makes
0: sense. Yeah. Yep. But
1: I am but I am I'm circling the drain on this thing. Mm-hmm. And it's been it's been an incredible journey for me. Um, and I've, I've even enlisted some friends of mine who know me very well from back home and from abroad. Um, and they've helped me because they know me super, right? They know me really well. So they've helped me think through, okay, you know, here, here are the things that I observe you being passionate about also being good at also being something that the world needs and also being something you could monetize and make a living at and, and the confluence of those four things seems to be circling around this this idea of of storytelling and what that might mean i don't know we'll yep. see
0: yeah uh, yeah excited. i can see that and um uh you know look i don't know you very well but i think that certainly pulls together those those kind of attributes of creativity of strategy of what you are very good at mm. of your love and passion um I'm interested in the, you know, so I think they're lovely that you've, you've got other people to come and help you have that kind of conversation with yourself. Have you had to look at, at the stuff perhaps that you're either not so good at or the mm. stuff that you find hard? Because I think the other thing you, you touched on at the very beginning is it's quite nice to do the easy stuff, isn't mm. it? Yes. But actually the, the, t- the stuff that's hard or the stuff that you know you don't really deal with because... Yes. It's really hard. Yes. Do you
1: have time to do that? Yeah. And in 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 the same context of the last three or four months of reflection, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, how, how I can do a better job creating, cultivating, maintaining, strengthening personal and professional relationships. One of the things that I have come to learn about myself in the last, I would say, 12 months is. You know, the the background and the backdrop of my psyche that drives the way I engage and communicate with people in good and bad ways. And one of the things that I've learned is I've always been a person, particularly in my personal life, not so much my professional life, but in my personal life, who has tended to avoid conflict. I have, I have, and I'm honestly, I can say this, I don't think I've ever gotten into an argument with a significant other, ever. Um, now that's not because there weren't things to debate. Mm-hmm. That's more because my nature is one of uh, of, uh, of conflict avoidance. And one of the things that I've learned over time is, you know, I grew up thinking that conflict avoidance was the right thing to do. It was a good thing. And what I've learned over time is that healthy conflict and healthy tension, particularly when approached in the context of me and you versus the thing. Yep. and me versus you it can be incredibly helpful uh, and also help to b- build and strengthen the relationship in ways that the avoidance of tension can harm or hurt it because it yeah. can over time build up um resentment and I don't I've, I've never been a particularly resentful person I don't hold grudges and this kind of thing but but I I think when I reflect on it one of the things that I learned uh, and I mentioned this earlier in our conversation, in, in the and particularly in the African American diaspora and households in the states and African American households, one of the things you will see almost um um consistently throughout is this idea of you know if you want to get in trouble in a black family's household be disrespectful talk back yeah that is the that is the quickest way to find yourself in very 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 hot Water. Yes. And that, yes. That's where I, and that's how I grew up. That's where I grew up. And so for me, um, setting a boundary, providing a very clear but alternative and conflicting point of view was never viewed as positive. It would get you in trouble. Right. And that's how I grew up. And so flash forward 30 plus years and the way that then translates is a grown man who has a very difficult time leaning into conflict with people that he is close to. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I don't, I don't really have this issue at work, but with people that I'm close to and care about, I can find it and have found it very difficult to do those things. And that's one of the things that I have over the course of the last, um, several months been, been, been working on. I'll share, I'll share an anecdote with you, uh, if you don't mind. No,
0: no, please
1: do. The, The, um, I'd say about, this was this would be about 4 5 4 plus years ago uh i was in a situation where you know things were very challenging at work i had a, i had a challenging situation personally but because of my conflict avoidance uh nature you know and also because i was raised by a very stoic father yeah he was very tall I,
0: and, an, and an american footballer wasn't he so he sounds yeah, like yeah. a kind of High achieving, but slightly scary.
1: Yeah, but 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 also incredibly kind. Yeah. But, you know, show no emotion, kind of stable, steady ship kind of thing, yep. right? Okay. So I was raised in a household where, you know, th- you know, things would happen. And my view was if there was tension in the house or tension at work or with personal life or friends or whatever, you kind of sort of as a man, your job is to just swallow that. Just eat it, you know, you know, just and 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 and. Consume and push down and compact and forget. Yeah, because your job is not to complain. Your job is not to make things feel bigger or larger. Your job is to find a solution. Your job is to make um, things that could potentially rock the boat go away. Right. Now, uh, you do that long enough, it's going to catch up with you. I remember I came back from London on a business trip. I was sitting on the edge of the bed and I thought to myself, I don't feel right. I'm not really sure what this is. Um, so, so I went to the urgent care kind of walk-in. There's a three hour wait. They had a, uh, a on the board. They had a clock that showed the wait time for any new person walking in and it was more than three hours. I walked to the front, spoke to one of the nurses at the station. She said, how can I help you? I told her how I was feeling. She said, describe for me again. I told her she took me directly to the back, directly to the back. And it was one of those situations, I don't know if you've ever been in, where one person speaks to you, then they leave, and then another more senior person comes in, and now it's two people speaking to you when they're asking you questions. And then they leave, and then they bring in another more senior person. Now there's three people speaking to you, and I'm thinking to myself, what what the hell is happening because you're freaking me out, right?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Next thing I know, the attending physician is in the room, He's handing me a pill. He says, lay back. When you take this, you're gonna feel lightheaded. I used to sell pharmaceuticals for a company called Pfizer. I knew I know what a nitrate is. So I said, is this a nitrate? He said, Yes. I said, Do you think I'm having a heart attack? Mm -hmm. He said, Everything in your body is saying you have had or are about to have a a heart issue, like now. Yeah. So we gotta get your we got we gotta get you settled. They put me in the back of an ambulance, took me directly to the hospital. Um, EKG, heart monitor, the whole bit. Mm -hmm. I sat in front of the doctor at at the hospital. And he says, look, you seem fine. Have you ever had a panic attack? I said, no, I didn't feel anxious at all. He said, look, we hooked you up. He said, everything that we saw, everything that you described said that, you know, something was about to happen to you. Don't know whether it was actually going to be the case or not. But he said, look, he asked me, do you do drugs? I said, no. Do you drink a lot? I said, rarely. I don't smoke. Mm -hmm. He looked me straight in the face, straight in the face. And this is what he said. He said, whatever it is, leave it because it's going to kill you. That's what he said to me. Wow. That's what he said to me. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is, Kenyatta. Whatever it is, leave it because it's going to kill you. That was sobering that was sobering and that started a very long and very intentional journey for me around how I deal with and manage conflict because it, it I had allowed it to become toxic it was it was killing me you know and so and so for me, particularly over the last six months or so, I spent a lot of time thinking about how I can lean into, um those situations, those discussions in a way that is helpful versus harmful.
0: Mm. And that, that's fascinating. And I think, and it's so interesting. It has such a massive impact on you physically. Because that place. But how do you do it? I mean because this yeah. is this is you know I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I everything. everything you talk about, I resonate yeah. with so much. And actually my background's very different. But very similar kind of scenario, lovely, yes. lovely upbringing. But, and I recognized it in myself, you know, probably not that long ago, really.
1: Yes. And
0: yes. I kind of, a little bit like you, maybe, I sort of get away with it because I'm very direct and yes. very open. So yes. people assume that actually we're very good at dealing with confrontation. But there's yes. quite a big difference between dealing with confrontation of stuff we don't really care about. And yes. confrontation about yes. stuff we really care about where actually we just don't deal with it because yes. Yes. it's painful or we don't know how to do it, we don't have the framework. So I'm yes. really yes. interested in in how have you got over that next bit.
1: Look, look, at the at the risk of anyone listening to this thing thinking that I'm qualified to give it advice. No, 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 equally
0: <laughs> neither am I. I'm just like <laughs>
1: Let, let me I'm let me just say, in
0: what people do no
1: no 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 absolutely absolutely and, and and you are you are so uh you are so exactly right when you talk about you know there is a massive difference between things that, that you are you are unbothered about um and and things that you actually care about uh they affect you and impact each of us differently right so for, for me there's a few things that that I do. Um, And I've learned this through reading and through reflection and also through speaking to people. I I think the the first is to, if I am feeling something, allow myself to feel it. Because for a lot of the time in my um, adult life, I wouldn't even acknowledge the feeling. Whatever the feeling was, if it wasn't pleasant, if it wasn't what I wanted, I would move quickly to try to dismiss it uh, and push it away. and so for me, I think the first thing is to acknowledge it and and be okay with whatever the feeling is, yes. right? Good, bad, indifferent. I think that's number one. Number yes. two, is recognize the feeling is not you. It is just a feeling. I read somewhere that the way one can think about this is if your consciousness and your being is as open and broad and wide as the sky, feelings are just clouds. They're there but they dissipate right so we acknowledge their existence and they're there but we don't latch on to them we don't try to grab them and i think one of the things for me is you know acknowledging them while at the same time recognizing that this is not who i am what i am i'm feeling this now and it's okay to feel it but i'm not going to latch on to this because if i latch on to this you know and lots of people know this the the, the brain has a very difficult time discerning what is physically real and what is real in the context of our consciousness from for for most of us if we if we think or feel something the brain doesn't really know whether that's actually happening or we've just imagined it's happened right and also the brain doesn't really deal well with negatives and so i can't say don't think of something right that doesn't work and so for me i have to be able to say look i'm i'm feeling whatever the feeling is, joy, loneliness, sadness, annoyance, whatever it is, and then say, okay, something has created this feeling in me, that's fine. I'm going to sit in that for a second. I'm not going to latch on to it, but what I am going to do is try to understand what made me feel that way and why Why that thing made me feel that way, because it was less about the thing and more about the reflection of, of Kenyatta Nelson, Right. And I think doing those three things has been incredibly helpful for me. One, one, being comfortable about sitting in and feeling that emotion and not beating myself up for feeling it. Two, then making sure that I don't latch onto it. And then three, taking time at some point, maybe not right then, at some point to reflect on why I felt the way that I felt. And what is it about me that created that feeling or that emotion? Uh, And do I need to do anything about it? Maybe the answer is no. Maybe the answer is no, Uh, maybe equally, maybe the answer is I I need to do some work and that's okay. But I think for me, that's been helpful. I think, you know, the other thing that I would say is, um, and I've I've read this and also seen people do it. uh, I think in business in particular, there is a bias towards action, particularly amongst really successful people. So when something is said or something is done, uh, there's a bias towards reacting then in the moment, um, particularly because it sometimes makes us feel like we're quite clever or witty or smart because we had something kind of can to be able to say, I, I, I have learned not to do that. And I think oftentimes my ability to allow something to be said or done and simply not react has served me incredibly well, incredibly well. So that's 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 what I would say. It's worked for me. It may work for other people as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah.
1: That, 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 that's how I've dealt with it.
0: Well, I think that's great advice. And it's, um, you know, particularly, I think the particularly the piece around the clouds, you know, that and we know. And, and sometimes it is just hard to live that moment and also then not just feel it's us and it's something peculiar to us and there's something wrong with us because that's how we feel. Um, yes, absolutely. And, and sometimes it can just go away but I think you know as you go into your new role I, again I, I think it's it's um it's always a great moment of reflection isn't it as you go into new role and I, I don't really ever go into new roles because I, I run businesses but I always have that moment before I start a new business where I kind of think about so how am I going to run it differently mm. and I wonder for you um you know, as you you take on, you know, a new role, a different kind of sector again, slightly, um, are there some ways you think about connecting, confronting, Mm. um, building that team, getting on with the existing team, because it's a pretty big team that you're going to be working with, um, that some of those things we've just talked about will be helpful?
1: Yes. Uh, I think for me, one of the first things I'm thinking about is the fact that this business in particular, the cooperative, the co-op group is a massive business. They do uh, a circa 11 billion in turnover a year. They have, they have multiple business units across food, funeral care, um, You know, they've, they've got businesses in insurance, they've got businesses in legal. So they've got lots of different hands and lots of different pots. And that means lots of different stakeholders and lots of different points of view about what makes sense for the business, for the group, for the individual business units, and also for the organization and its membership, because it is a cooperative, right? And so it's a business where um, cooperation, financial participation, um, all, all those things are critically important to the way the business is run and the way that we as leadership team think about the way we engage with Colleague, customer, member, and so for me, I'm doing a lot of thinking about how this kind of business is different versus other businesses where, for example, profits are 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 distributed amongst shareholders in in the form of dividends. Where in this case, we're plowing that money back into the business and back into membership, and and so I'm trying to shift my thinking, you know, to be to balance the context of you know what is commercially right and what is and best for the business and what is also and the organization and also what is what is right for members and membership and sometimes those things will be at odds but the reason this business exists the reason it exists is for the benefit of members and, and membership that's the reason it exists right so so that's a very different way of thinking versus every other business I've ever been a a part of. And I find that challenge incredibly exciting. It's one of the reasons why I joined the business. I joined the business because at this point in my life and career, I wanted to be a part of a business that better aligned to my values and allowed me and the other people I work with to to do something that was substantive in terms of its impact to uh, the customers, and in this case, the members it serves and the community it exists in. And I think this is a business that has this opportunity in absolute spades. Uh, The other thing I would I would say is, you know, I'm really looking at how I can bring what I think is my unique skill set to bear in the context of trying to pull the the individual parts of the organization together for the benefit of the members. One of the things, as I look at co-op, and I haven't joined the business yet, but as I look at it from the outside in. I think there is an enormous opportunity for the business to do um an even better job at articulating the benefit of membership and then using all of the assets that it has to create uh what I would class as a, a more a more interesting and 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 um compelling membership proposition you know yeah. so what am I getting by being a member of the co-op and that might be um, preferential pricing, but it, equally, it might be the, the opportunity to save, uh, interestingly, on car or home or personal insurance. It might be access to um, events. Um, I know the, the business sponsors, I think the eight largest, um, um, what do you call them, festivals in the UK? Yes, Absolutely. The, So there's lots that can be unearthed and peeled back in the context. And I I genuinely, I think people just have no idea um, what what this business is involved in and all the good that it does. And so part of my job is to is to not just kind of sort of drive footfall or drive the commercial outcome of the business, but also to help people understand that the better the business does commercially, the more good the business can create. Yes. For the community it exists in, and for the co-ops uh, and uh, membership, and so that that for me is incredibly exciting. I'm I'm, I'm really really looking forward. to
0: Yeah, I it. think it's so interesting, isn't it? I've interviewed the previous CEO and uh, and actually a previous CMO a, a little while ago, um, and and I and I have a particular love of the co-op because during lockdown I lived in Cornwall mm. um, because my daughter was there, and as you know, I, I spend split my life between there, which is where I grew up. Um, And I live in a very small town called Paramporth. And during lockdown, there was the butchers that was open, the baker, Boots, the chemist, and they have bizarrely two Mm. co-ops. For a very strange reason, one is kind of franchise and one is owned. Um, And that was literally for three months, the only shops that were open. Um, and wow. Because it was by the beaches, all the beaches were closed and partitioned off because a lot of national trust property. So um, I spent a lot of time there. I'm a very proud yes, member. Yes. But I think, but I think it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I think alongside um, John Lewis, which their kind of partnership is quite different. Yes. If you think about particularly the very big brands in the UK. There isn't another company like it, and there isn't no. membership that works in the same way or means the same thing um I think it's a fascinating challenge and I and I but I also understand from your point of view that desire to be part of something that has a really strong set of values and culture that you can identify with and actually kind of help build
1: absolutely absolutely and I, I look every single person I've met in the lead up to accepting this role and starting this role has been absolutely fantastic. Um, but but even more, I've gotten a real sense f- from every colleague that I've met with um, that there is a desire over the course of the next, you know, kind of uh, part of Co-op's journey to create in this organization um, a very, very clear Articulation for its reasons for being, that that allows that reason to, reason to be defined in a way that brings modernity to that definition. And I think I think the business is the organization is very clear about why it began, and the reason why co-ops as organizations are important. But I think they're also clear that there needs to be an evolution um, and the injection of modernity to that definition and some clarity so that membership understand, you know, yes, on the food side, convenience is is enormous. And over the course of lockdown and during the pandemic, this business was there in ways that many other businesses were not. But even beyond that, I shop here because I understand that this organization does X, Y, and Z for the community it exists in. And I think, you know, one of the things I'm incredibly excited about is working with that team to to better define that and also articulate and communicate it more broadly. And we've got some, some phenomenal things planned um, and in the pipe for the next 12, 18 months um, that I'm very, very excited to be a part of.
0: Which will be great and and fascinating. And I think, you know, for you as a, as a marketeer, what a fantastic challenge. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the other thing that I'm interested in is, and the co-op have I think worked quite hard. They've been, very forward in embracing some quite interesting diversity and inclusion policies. They've, mm-hmm. they've been quite open in some of the wellbeing programs that they've put in place. Yes, um, And I just wanted to, uh, and I'm fascinated about how you are going to help your teams. And I, and the reason that I always love working with marketing teams, particularly, you know, obviously in my oyster catchers world, but in my let's reset world, because often marketing teams are the ones that, that can make the big difference in organisations, because they mm. used to change. They used yes. to yes. Um, You know, and I never, and I don't know if to feel happy or sad about this, when you said people fear you, they walk across the street, um, and they don't necessarily understand you. And I guess yes. most yes. of that is because of your colour, because yes. of your height, because of the yes. way you look. Yeah. Um, and... You know, you talk quite a lot about one of the reasons that you carried on and you went to a black university and then you did your MBA was that you were able to be in an environment, probably for actually then, the mm-hmm. only time in your life, because since yeah, then you've yes. in different parts yes. of the world, where you have been surrounded by people like yourself. Yes. Yes. Um how when you're looking at being in a new environment and maybe you can use some experiences of the things you've done in the past or, or even with the, the retail consortium that you're part of, mm. how do you help people feel that they belong?
1: Yes, it's a, it's a really good question. I, I think there's a there's a couple things that I do very intentionally in, in that in that context. I think the, the first is um My father used to talk about this a lot when I was younger. He would say to me, you need to act like you're somebody. Now, what he meant by that is when you leave this house, you're going to be judged, right? Wrong or indifferent, right? People are going to look at each and every one of us. But that's the way our brains work. We we get lots of stimulus throughout the day and we create heuristics, shortcuts. Yeah. Uh, when a person looks like this or that or the other thing, I, I make some assumptions about who and what they are and what they are or not capable of. I'm not suggesting for a second that that's fair, but I am suggesting that it is real, right? Those things occur. And so, for one, I try to be conscious of that. And I try to make sure that in every room that I am in, the room, to the extent that I can, the room is improved because of my presence. You know, and I'm not saying that to suggest that I'm the smartest guy in the room. I don't think that I am. And if I am, I need, I need to find a different room. But I, I do think, I do fundamentally believe, one, that I bring something interesting and compelling to the conversation. And two, I do my best to make sure that that, is, that, that belief is backed up with evidence, and so, for me, one of the things that I do personally, because because I, I I am I am aware that when I walk in the room, most of the time I am the only person of color in the room. Yes. And so, wh- whether or not I want to speak for all other people of color, <laughs> um, I sometimes do. I sometimes yes. do. And 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 look, if you ask people in the room, you know, uh, is Kenyatta the proxy for all African American men or men of color? Everyone will say no. Um, but the reality is,
0: <laughs> yeah, you you know,
1: we, are, we, we know what we are exposed to, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I am, I am conscious of and very intentional in making sure that, that people who get exposed to me walk away to the extent that I can, feeling relatively positive about that. Now, some might look at that and say, "Well, look, that's not that shouldn't fall on your shoulders. It's not fair. World isn't fair." Um, but, but. I, I I'm I'm consciously committed to making sure uh that I do my part to create in the mind's eye of people that I come across a positive impression about uh the African-American male I think it's important um and it's not necessarily my responsibility but I do it because I think it's the right thing to do I, I think it's number one I think number two is um I I have in me I always have and I continue to have and I think it's I think it's a helpful um, characteristic. I have in me a very deep distaste for inequity. Um, I I think, I think, I see this in my son, I have a son who's seven years old, um, you know, I see when he plays, you know, winning is good, losing is okay, but where they have fun is when they play and everyone gets a turn. Kids, I think, in, in, innately, they understand fairness. They get it, right? Even when that has been explained to them. If something isn't fair, they can sniff it. They can sense yeah, it. Sure. And and, and, and I, I, I have a deep distaste for inequity. And look, we live probably in, in what could be described as the most inequitable time in human history, potentially, right? Uh, but if I am in the room and if I am able to influence the thinking and the conversation and the behavior, there will be equity in the room. Um, people will be heard because I think people want to be heard. It's it's critical uh to a person's self-belief and value yeah. that they that they are that they are heard and listened to. And so for me, making sure that voices in the room are considered and are heard are so important, not just because of what that means for the person who is speaking or sharing the thought, but also for what it means for sharpening the idea that we're debating in the room. And so that's kind of sort of the second thing that I do. I, I think the 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 third thing I, I try to do to make people feel like uh they they belong is I at times, and this and, and sometimes this works well, other times maybe not so well, but I, I like to inject um a, a little bit of tension into conversations i want to make sure that we've considered all the alternatives um i'm i'm not a huge fan of conversations where we come to consensus quickly
0: yes because it it
1: it it yeah. it, it, it it's a bit of a red flag for me <laughs> because i think mm, that was a bit too easy yeah. right i don't so, so you know i wonder is there something not being said in the room Uh, Now, I'll be I'll be honest. I picked this up from people that I've watched in leadership positions before. And there is a skill to doing this, because if you do this wrong, you you can be very disruptive. Right. But I I think there is there is um, value in uh, the, the it's called the Disney method. Some people call it the Disney method. I read a book a long time ago called Creativity Incorporated by Ed Katzmill. And he is one of the three founding members of Pixar. And he talks about how they do this thing with every idea where it goes into effectively three different rooms and in one room they talk about all the things that are great about the idea and yep. the second room they fundamentally just try to destroy it and all the reasons why it will never work um but they're doing that to strengthen it and then in the last room it's a bit more balanced yep. um and and taking a conversation through those three things i think i think in that way when i try to do that I think it helps people feel like th- they can voice a point of view, even if it's pr- even, even if it's provocative, yeah. without fear of judgment or retribution, right? This is a safe space. You try to create psychological safety is probably what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but I think th- th- those, those three things, in-, in my mind, have helped.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, my observation about the best teams that can work together is the ones that have got that sense of psychological safety and also are not afraid to really interrogate ideas, ways that they work together. Absolutely. Um, And actually those teams that don't, either they're too new and so they they haven't been able to create that environment yet, um, which I think is a real challenge in marketing because people move around so much. Yes. Um, or, or they're not, as you say, they're not brave enough. And I like that, yes. you know, actually physically or or even just metaphorically walking into different rooms to do different things against an idea. Yes. I, love that. Yes. I love that idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Kenyatta, this podcast is called Reset. Um, you know, look, you've shared quite a lot of, of very personal things and, and ways that you've been thinking. But I wonder is, has there been a, was there a particular day? Was there an occasion where you look back on and you think that was a moment of reset? That was a particularly hard learning lesson, a hard mm-hmm. day where you had to fundamentally
1: mm-hmm. change. Oh gosh. There's been quite a few of those. <laughs> I, I, th- I think, I think, um, one that I'll share is the one that um, that prompted the move out of the U.S. OK. So so, so and I think like many of us, the, the loss of a loved one is a time for reflection. Um, and it can prompt a move in a different direction.
0: Yeah.
1: And the, the case was the same for me. My, my mother had Alzheimer's. She was dead. She, she passed away of Alzheimer's. She was diagnosed at 54, very young, sure she had was early onset. And as a result, very, very aggressive Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to the point where probably about three years in, maybe four years in, she had it for 10 years, mm-hmm. about three to four years in, I'll never forget it. Uh, it was my father's birthday. I was driving from Cincinnati, Ohio to the U.S. It's about eight-hour drive. They were already at the restaurant with friends. I parked the car, walked into the restaurant. You know that moment when if you come to um, an event and you walk into a room and then one person turns and they notice you and they say hello. And then because they do that, everyone else turns and kind of sort of greets you as you walk towards yeah. the group that kind of thing happened to me and my mother turned because she got her back to me at the table she turned and everyone's saying waving saying hello and she looked at me and in that instant i knew she had no idea who i was there was there was, a, there was a there was a look that was confused slightly vacant and that was the moment when i knew the woman who had raised me was gone right physical body still there but, yeah. but but emotionally psychologically um, she wasn't mom anymore. Right. And so that hit me that not unexpectedly. Right. It hit me very hard. It was, um, my, my, my father had been taking care of her. And I remember we, we got home and the next day, he's at the kitchen table and he's feeding her because at this point she couldn't feed herself. Mm. And I said, look, dad, I'm I'm living kind of sort of far away. I'm a bit worried about you. Uh, and he says to me, I'll never forget it. He says to me, you know, look, don't worry about me. You go live your life. Um, and he, he he puts a spoon in my mother's mouth. He says this and he says, this is my joy. This is what he says. My father's a different animal. He's made of different stuff, right? That- uh, and, and he wasn't being performative. This is just who he is. Yeah. And so, and so th- in that moment, I thought, you know, I got a choice to make here, you know, um every I'll, I'll be honest with you everything in my being was saying move home everything because i'm thinking you know i'm not going to get this time back she's gone and how guilty would i feel about moving away um but my father made it clear like look you know don't don't if you're thinking about doing stuff whatever it is in your career do it you know do it that's what your mother would want that's what i want don't make a decision based on this." And that for me was a massive moment where I personally had to kind of sort of balance, you know, you know how it is with boys and their mothers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my, my personal feeling for what was going on with my mom and the fact that I had been away in Florida for university, subsequently 10 years in Cincinnati, Ohio, with Procter & Gamble. And so, throughout the course of her diagnosis uh, and moving through this horrible disease, I wasn't I wasn't there, and I felt enormously guilty about that. Mm. But then to be told by this man, one, you shouldn't, and two, don't you dare, mm. because that's not what she would want, right? And that 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 was a moment for me where I had both both the bravery and the permission almost to start to explore. Um, you know, things in my career that I probably would not have explored had I not had that conversation. And uh, less than a year later, I was speaking to a woman named Michaela Ratti who offered me a job uh, to lead global communications in Geneva, Switzerland um, for what at the time was called p Prestige, which was all the luxury um, fragrances and skincare and the whole bit. Um, I would not have taken that job if I had not had that conversation. As much as as I would have wanted to, because it was a dream job, an absolute dream, um, and it is the reason why I left. That job is the reason why I left the uh, the U.S. She took a chance on me. Uh, I, I, um, I, I I will owe Michaela a massive debt of gratitude for the rest of my life, because she fundamentally changed my life. But also, that conversation was the impetus for me exploring that uh, genuinely and 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 fervently. And picking up everything and moving to a country, I didn't speak the language. I didn't know any of the people. It was a different uh, business model for Procter and Gamble. It was a franchise business. We don't didn't own the brands, and it was simultaneously the most exciting and exhilarating career opportunity, but also the most terrifying. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. And and but but it was it was massive. And I think about my life now, and. Almost everything I have good about my life now I have because I made that decision. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, you know, I I was speaking to my father about this um, a week or so ago, and uh, he he reminded me. He said, "You know, you've lived, you've worked outside of the U.S. now longer than you worked in the states,
0: right?"
1: Um, and that would have been unfathomable before that that conversation. But I, I said to him, I said, you know, this is this is because you you gave me the push, kick, whatever you want to call it.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, do you know what? I mean, what a what an amazing story. And your mum will be, I know, super proud of you.
1: I hope so. I hope so.
0: But what a lovely thing, you know. I think all of us as parents, what we want to do is raise our children and then enable them to fly yes. and actually. But you know that's hard. That was an extra for your dad to do. Yes. And, and then for you to take it up actually yeah. and and do it yourself.
1: Yeah. It was. It was. It was. Um, look, it's been it's been phenomenal. That led to me eventually coming to the UK in 2015, and I've had a phenomenal time here as well. And this is home. It feels like home uh, for me. I have a son who's seven now, um, and you know we live in Liverpool. I can walk him to school in 10 minutes. I am incredibly fortunate. I'm very blessed. And and a lot of that I think has to do with the fact that um, my father had the foresight to be able to look at me and say, you know, don't make your life smaller. Um I I got this. Don't worry about me. We'll be fine. And 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 you know what, to his credit, my mom, you know, passed away. Um and he took the time he needed to mourn he's now been remarried for quite some years to a woman who's incredible and looks after him and takes good care of him and he's happy and i think i look at i look at what he did for my mother for 10 years she never went into a home fed her bathed her did her hair fed her you know you could name it everything and uh i look at his life now and think you know you uh you you earned that yeah oh, man absolutely and and um he, he is, for me, as I think about my own journey through fatherhood, he is the prototype, for sure. Um, I, I seek to be half the man he is, genuinely.
0: Well, he sounds pretty special, and um, it's great to have a, it's great to hear a man talk about their dad in what, that way, I and yeah. that's, that's lovely, really lovely. Look, we're almost out of time, um, and I could carry on chatting for ages. But I'm, I'm interested. You know, we started at the beginning of the conversation talking about a little bit about reflecting on some of the things that you've learnt, uh, particularly mm. this break between um, your last job. Now, if we were talking again, and I know we'll talk much earlier than this, but if we were talking That's again it. in kind of three years' time, yes. And you were reflecting one of the things that one of my guests last year, a wonderful man called Keith Moore, who at the time was uh, head of marketing at Camelot. Um, and if you go back to his podcast, you will hear him at the end read a letter to himself. Mm. And this letter is about his leadership style, what he wants to achieve, what he wants to achieve for the business, what he wants to achieve for himself, what he wants to achieve uh in the kind of industry really if if we were looking and talking in three years time and there were maybe three things that you have achieved over that period of time
1: Mm. what would they be oh gosh career specific or would they be yeah so so i i think there there would be in the context of my new role for the co-op one of the key things would be a very clear and compelling articulation of the co-op group and the benefit of the co-op group's existence for all the members who participate. That for me would be a massive success because I think it is a business that now more than ever is necessary in this country. Um, and I think the things that it does and can do for the members who participate um, are incredibly compelling and also necessary. What's needed at the moment is clarity of that point of view um, yeah. to drive that business forward. So that, I think that's number one. Num- number two, I want to be be and be seen as a leader who created other leaders. Mm -hmm. For me, a really, really great legacy of a leader is not to be some monolith who people talk about or write about and say, oh, look at the great thing or thing this person did while they were at business X, Y, and Z. And and look, oh, that's that's nice, that's great. But, But the reality is, um, in my mind, you know, at the end of the day, we're all we're all going to be. We're, we're here for a short amount of time, and I I genuinely believe the value in any person's existence is in is in the value they create for the people's lives that they touch while they're here. And so, for me personally and professionally, I I genuinely I want to be a person who people look at and think about and say, I and better in some way, because I have known, you Nelson. Yep. Um, and mm-hmm. so for me, whatever that looks like, uh, that would be an ambition of mine. And I think that the third one, interestingly, something I've, I've thought about here in the last week or so, you you, know, you mentioned, you know, we talked about the fact that I'm really curious. And I think, I think curiosity, not only is it critical in the, in, in the context of becoming a better person and a better professional. But I think it's bigger than that. And so for me, one of the things I would love to be able to say that I did in the next three years is is inject a spirit of curiosity in the people and in the organizations that I'm a part of. And let me explain why I think that's important. I view curiosity as the desire to learn, know, or understand something. In that way, curiosity is the prerequisite for empathy because empathy is fundamentally the understanding of an alternative point of view, right? But you can't do that if you're not genuinely curious about the other point of view, right? And I believe genuinely empathy is the highest order of human intelligence. I genuinely believe this. I think there is no order of human intelligence higher than empathy, yeah? But empathy cannot exist in the absence of curiosity. So for me, I, I think any organization I'm a part of, any person that I speak to, if if I can inject, inject a level of or a desire to be more curious, that would be something I would be probably most proud of if I could say in three, five years' time um, that the people, the organizations I was a part of are more curious because I was there.
0: And that would be an extraordinary legacy, wouldn't it? And a lovely one. And I think, um, you know, we talk a lot uh, in this podcast and Let's Reset around the seven needs of well-being and performance and how they link together. And And mm-hmm. actually, curiosity, creativity is one of those. And we know mm-hmm. it makes such a big difference to people. We've talked about purpose. We've talked about creating those kind of connections and people and um, that sense of feeling secure. Um, yes, the last, the last two areas of those seven needs are around your mental and physical well-being. We've touched a bit on mental well-being, but I just wonder, finally, what do you do for your own sense of physical and mental well-being?
1: Yes. Oh gosh, I move. Um, yes, I move.
0: movement I move. I move. is life.
1: I move as much as I can. You know, you know, when you talk about kind of sort of this idea of entropy and and effectively death. You know, things are dead when they stop when they stop moving and and movement for me to your point. Movement is life and, you know, change of direction, change of point of view, perspective. Uh, those things should not be feared um, because they are fundamental to living. And so for me, I, I try to get out and move as much as I can. I in I'm in the gym. Probably five to six days a week. I try to go for walks whenever I can, weather permitting. I think um, human beings are designed to be out and to be moving. And also, particularly as a as a melanated person, vitamin D is critically important. And I don't get enough of it in the UK because there's yeah, no... Yeah,
0: I know! Right? So,
1: so, so one of the downsides of how, having melanated skin is that it takes a bit longer for the vitamin D to penetrate. And in an, in an environment like the UK, that can be quite challenging. And so I try to get out. Um, I also I also do what I can to travel. I just came back from South Africa uh, yesterday, in fact. Um, I think when we travel, we come back with different eyes. Um, and I think it's really important. It goes back to my point on empathy. You know, trying as best you can to expose yourself when you can to different perspective, points of view, ways of life, I think it's really, really interesting. And you don't have to leave the continent to do that. You know, you don't have to leave the country to do it. Um, But I think it's really, really critical. And so I would say move, get out and get some sun and also experience and try new things. Um, Those three things for me, you know, I try to eat healthy as much as I can. but, But aside from that, doing those three things, particularly over the last couple of years, I think have been extraordinarily helpful.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. Well, Kenyatta, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Good luck in your so new lovely. role.
1: Thank uh, you so much.
0: And uh, I look forward to spending more time with you anyway. But um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing some of those brilliant stories. You are definitely a wonderful storyteller. But oh, thank you. I think as we've seen today so much more as well. So thank you. It's been lovely to talk to you.
1: This has been brilliant. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends, and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.